Man, that was a... Uh, I love that song. There, there's that song and the Forever song this summer that we're doing, man. Just just love it. I mean, y'all... I had time out because it's so easy just to, you know, sing them and enjoy them. Maybe the first time, really think about it. And then after that, just kind of go through the motions. But, man, y'all believe that? Like, there's, some, there's so many things in life that I, I can look back at and remember, kind of long for. You know, I remember, man, if I could, you know, get into high school or, you know, playing sports or thinking about getting my learner's permit and then, uh, then getting my driver's license and getting a car, all these things I was always looking forward to. And then um, when I was out of high school, going into college and thinking about what marriage would look like and all these big like milestones that just kind of look forward to and long for and you know, couldn't wait to get to those points in life. Um, and it's great. And, and, and there's value in all those things and not that we shouldn't be excited about them, but you know, how much more, right? I mean, how much more when we can step back and as Christians, we can know what this life is really about, and to step back and think about that song. That's it, right? All of life for us, if you're in Christ, all of life is building to that moment when we're with Jesus forever, right? All of life is building to the moment when we will see Jesus, see him. Not just believe in him, not just trust him, not just, I mean, how awesome is it that we have his spirit that gives us this witness and we, we can believe and trust in this faith that comes from above. And it's awesome. But there is coming a day. Listen, there is coming a day in real life, real talk right now, we will see Jesus. That was the exclamation point, right? We will see Jesus. Man, we'll be with him. Faith and hope, those things will be fulfilled and we'll, we'll see Jesus. We'll be with him. And that's what life is building towards. Man, and that's, and that's what, for, for you and me, that's what our anticipation should be on for that moment. Yeah, all things in life, man, there are good things to enjoy in this life. Man, it's, it's a shadow of what we have for eternity with Jesus. So uh, this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. Um, basically we're going to pick up, you remember going through the, the message earlier of the, when Jesus heals the man who is possessed in the tombs, we went through that story. We're really kind of picking right up on the heels of that story where Jesus, you know, those, the Gentiles over there, uh, they freak out. They, they ask Jesus to leave. They just want him to go away. Right. And, uh, so Jesus heals this man, rescues this man, saves this man. And, uh, but they want Jesus to leave, so he gets back in the boat. They come across the lake. They come back to uh, Capernaum, and Jesus is met there by this huge crowd. They're just waiting for Jesus to come back because, you know, he's been doing all these amazing things, right? Been healing people, um, doing all these miracles, uh, and, and this amazing teaching with authority and power. And so they were just kind of sitting there waiting on him to come. And, and so Jesus gets off the boat, and he's met by this just huge crowd. In fact, twice in this story, um, it'll mention how big the crowd was and how it was, like, pressing in on Jesus. And is, they call it a throng, which is a funny word. Um, it's like this, but the picture is that Jesus just swarmed with people that are crying out his name, trying to get to him, you know, to, you know, in whatever situation they're in, they want his help. They want to hear his teaching. They want to see him do something. They just want to get to Jesus. So this picture, this huge crowd pressing in on him, um, which for me, even 
in my study trying to visualize a story makes me anxious because I'm not a crowd person, like, at all. I'm, like, if I was, if somebody else was preaching and I was in this room, right now the only place I would really feel comfortable is uh, back in that corner by the bathroom um, and just hope that somebody realized that in this kind of setting you really only use those bathrooms for number one. Uh, number two is just kind of kind of rude. Um, but uh, I'd be in that corner because, man, I, I just, I get anxious in a crowd. I always, always have. Um, twice in my life, being in a crowd has made me vomit. <laughs> uh, the first time was, I think I, I was probably second or third grade. And do y'all, do y'all remember in elementary school, did y'all have like uh, jobs that you would get? Like line leader? Line leader, I mean, that was like the job. Um, either line leader or door, I like being the door holder. Because you would get to be second in line until you came up on the door, and then you'd hold it for everybody, and then you could be in the back of the line, and uh, you know just kind of nod at everyone as they went by, like, "Don't worry, I got this." Right. Um, so we had like line leader, door holder, and then um, the guy, that, the people that hold the flag, right, for the pledge of allegiance. Now, the first time that a crowd made me vomit was uh, I was holding the flag for the pledge of allegiance, and just everyone looking at me, kind of like right now. Uh, everyone looking at it. I just remember like the room started to, everything got blurry. The room started to spin and somewhere in the middle of it, uh, I just hurled everywhere, um, which was awesome. And they bring out that stuff, that sprinkle stuff that they would put in it. Remember that? Oh yeah. That covers the smell right up. Just changes it. <laughs> Let's make this worse. Um, but I did get to go home the rest of the day. That was good. Um, the second time I remember going to this, uh, it was when the first George Bush, was I think he was running for re-election, and so he was going to come to our town and do this speech. And so uh, my my whole like family, extended family, wanted to go to this thing, and so I got roped in. I I, I don't remember. I was probably ten or eleven, uh, maybe even a little bit younger. And uh, I remember going to this thing it was in, the, in the summertime. It was so hot, and we we're just standing outside. And so we got up early, uh, grabbed like donuts and orange juice on the way out, and get to this thing. And it's just people are just packed in. And there's some people there saying stuff like, Bush is bad. And other people yelling back like, no, you're wrong. And you're just like having these dumb arguments out in the middle of the, the square. And uh, I was right at, you know, at that age, you're right at like butt height, you know. And so that's the only view I had as the crowd kept like pressing in on me was, you know, early 90s stonewashed denim butts. And, and I remember... Man, I looked up at my mom. I was like, I'm not feeling well for so many reasons. And, uh, and she just kind of kept putting me off thinking, you know, you know, he just immature kid doesn't want to sit here and wait in a hot crowd. And, uh, man, it just kept building. And I finally was like, I am not feeling good. And I remember looking over and there was this lady in this white dress. And, uh, and, and I was like, why not? And I, I, tr- <laughs> and I, I tried to get, I tried to actually get my hand up to, you know, I don't know. I was just going to you know, try to keep it right here. But I got my fingers to like this position, which all it did was focus laser beams of throw up. And man, I hit that. I remember, I just remember seeing one go right through the middle. Just, I mean, and hit that lady's dress and it like kind of flying up. And then people just like, it was like slow motion where they're like, no, (laughs) I was just spraying everywhere. So I was like, all right. And I just kept going with it. And uh, I was like, and 
And all of a sudden, you know, weird enough, like the crowd split and I got to this little shady area and people brought me uh, uh, cans of Coke. It was great. Enjoy the rest of the day. Um, what was I talking about that for? Crowds. I don't like crowds, right? And so anyway, in this story, there's a crowd. No, no spiritual application. Um, yeah, so many of these people just try to, try to go there in your mind, right? I mean, everybody wants a piece of Jesus' time, right? Everyone's trying to get to Jesus, calling out to him. They want to hear him teach. They want to see him do something amazing. There's things in their own life that they're desperate to bring to Jesus. And in this story, we're going to see two people that get to Jesus. And it's cool. Mark kind of does this, like, story within a story thing where he starts telling us the story of this guy named Jairus and about his daughter. And right in the middle of it, he interrupts with this other lady's story. And it's really cool. Mark actually does it throughout his gospel and this, like, story within a story. And what he's doing is, in the middle story, he makes this big point, this one big theological point that really unlocks both stories. And so we're going to see this take place. And so... The first person we're going to meet is Jairus, and uh, it says this. So, chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he, Jesus, went with him. So we see this ruler of the synagogue. And, and so, you know, again, picture in your mind, people are just pressing in on Jesus from every side. But this, in that culture, in that society, this important guy comes through. So in my, my mind, I kind of picture that they see Jairus coming. He's a ruler of the synagogue. Basically, in that town, it would have been like... Um, not, not so much like a pastor, because he wouldn't have been the one who preached and who taught, but he would have really been in kind of in charge of the synagogue. He would have been in charge of who was going to preach and what scripture they were going to read from and making sure that the teaching that did happen was correct. And so he, he had a really esteemed position where the elders of that area would have elected him to that job to trust him with really the integrity of, you know, what would be like our church, their synagogue. And so... Maybe they, they see this guy coming and people are getting out of his way, like the ruler of the synagogue's coming. Jairus is coming. And so Jairus gets this path made to him uh, to see Jesus. And as soon as he gets there, man, he falls at Jesus' feet. And I don't know if you have you noticed throughout the stories, that's kind of been a, a theme. Something we've been seeing a lot is that people get to Jesus and they, they're at, they fall at his feet, they kneel before him. So Jairus does that, which is this is huge because Jairus, Jairus was part of the religious establishment, right? The, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, all these people that had different positions in Israel. Um, and so for Jairus, he would have kind of been underneath that authority. And those people, they did not kneel at Jesus' feet, right? They didn't, they didn't trust Jesus. They weren't looking to Jesus for answers. They were always trying to trap Jesus in his answers, and so for Jairus to do this, this is a huge statement. Jairus is coming, and, and no doubt, you know, it would have been in this area that Jesus has already done a lot of these miracles. Jairus, you know, perhaps Jesus preached at his synagogue. Maybe it was at his synagogue that Jesus healed the man with the withered hand. So he's seen Jesus do these things. He's heard Jesus preach. 
And what we see from Jairus is his faith, his trust is in Jesus. He falls at his feet. That's a humble position. He's coming to Jesus in humility. And he's crying out to Jesus in his desperation, in, in his hopeless situation. Because Jairus' little daughter is dying. Is dying. Right? <clears throat> Matthew and Luke both record this. Matthew, when he tells the story, he really summarizes it. He condenses it. And he just go, goes, goes ahead and tells you at the beginning, she's dead. She's dead. So Jairus gets there. And his faith is, is that Jesus can heal his daughter. His faith is that Jesus can bring his daughter back to life. His faith and his hope, his trust is already in Jesus. And he kneels before him. And Jesus, man, this is just awesome. Jesus is God, right? Y'all believe that? Jesus is God. So Jesus isn't just standing here by the sea being surrounded by people, Jesus is doing things like keeping everyone's heart beating. Jesus is doing things like keeping Saturn in place, right? This is the God of the universe. He is created and he sustains and he directs all of time and history and space. And this man comes and kneels before him and it just says, and he went with him. Jesus sees this man in his desperation. He sees this man in his hopeless situation. This, this daddy, whose little girl, is dying. And Jairus has no power to stop that. Jesus goes with him. And so the disciples, no doubt, they're, they're, they're going with him. And the crowd, you know, over most of them around it would have overheard what's happening. And so they're, they're going to want to go. They're going to want to see, can Jesus really do something about this? And so the crowd begins to move. But then we're introduced to this other character, this lady, this woman who, unlike Jairus, she doesn't have a position of honor. She's not esteemed. Really, if anything, if people would have known that this woman was in the crowd, they would have yelled at her, spit on her maybe, maybe even been physically violent with her for even being there, because this lady would have been an outcast. This lady would have been considered unclean. Unclean where she wouldn't have, because of her issue that we're going to read about, she wouldn't have been able to be around people. She couldn't come into contact with people. She couldn't go to the synagogue, right? She's not a leader of the synagogue. She, couldn't, she wouldn't even be allowed to go anywhere near it because she was unclean. She wouldn't be able, allowed to worship the Lord with other people. She's outcast from society. Let's meet her. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. and was no better, but rather grew worse. So for 12 years, we're going to find out that's the age of Jairus's daughter right now that in the story, it, as long as Jairus's daughter has been alive, this woman has been suffering. This physical, this hemorrhage, she's been bleeding for 12 years, nonstop. She's always unclean. And it says she spent everything. She spent all her money on doctors, and it said no one could help her. In fact, she just got worse and worse and worse. They couldn't help her. They couldn't heal her, couldn't rescue her. This lady is desperate. She is dying. She is hopeless. For 12 years, she's suffered, and she's suffered alone. 
It's crazy. Uh, I did a, a little research, and I don't know if it was really helpful as much as it was just kind of got entertaining. Because I, I thought, now what, are they, what would they have done for this lady? Like, what did doctors, I mean, what do they know how to do back then? We're talking about, especially in her culture, where, I mean, this is first century oppressed people group under the Roman government's thumb. Like, there's no going to school for this, right? Like, what did this look like? And uh, one of the common remedies for a hemorrhage was to take an ostrich egg and burn it and carry the ashes around with you. The end. She didn't get better. She got worse, right? There's uh, one ancient remedy. Um, We've come a long way, all right? We haven't evolved, but we've developed, all right? (laughs) We've built on the success and failures of other people. There's one remedy that the Egyptians had that if you had a headache, you would take manure. Y'all know what manure is? Yeah, it's another word for poop. You would take poop and chew it. Yes. And then all of a sudden your headache wasn't so bad. <laughs> right? The, Egyptian, the Egyptians had lots of good stuff. They also, uh, if you got a toothache, they had a good one for that. They would cut a mouse, a mouse, like a little, you know, squeak mouse. Cut one of those in half. And guess where you're going to put that joker? That's right. Apply it to the, the area of need. They would put a mouse in their mouth. Does your tooth hurt? <laughs> no. But everything else feels really sick. But your tooth is better, isn't it? Right? I mean, that's, that's crazy stuff. Crazy stuff, man. Some of it funny. Some of it just really... I mean, they used to even... Like, I just read this morning. This has... I shouldn't share this with you. In the 19th century, right? This isn't that long ago. They told you, like, if your kid wouldn't go to sleep, they had this uh, syrup. Syrup that you could give it. Give this kid, give this kid some of the syrup, and they'll go to sleep. You know what was in it? Morphine. <laughs> Heck yeah, that kid will go to sleep <laughs> and have amazing dreams, right? <laughs> and probably try to kill you the next day if you don't give it some more syrup, like making pancakes all day long. Crazy, right? We've come a long way. Anyway, so this lady, I'm, I'm not good at tying my stories into the text. Um, this lady, man, she spent everything she had, everything she had. She's got nothing, no more money. She's seen these doctors. They can't do anything for her. And she's just gotten worse, just gotten worse. She's in desperate need. So in your mind, go there, right? This crowd is pushing. Jesus is moving away. He's going with Jairus. He's going to go to his house. And this woman is fighting through the crowd. No one's getting out of her way unless they know who she is and she's unclean. She's got to fight her way. And listen to what she's thinking. Verse 28. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? This lady fighting through the crowd. She says she's heard about Jesus. 
It's an awesome picture, isn't it? She's heard about Jesus. And she believes. She trusts. If I can just get to him. I don't have to talk to him. I don't have to have an audience with him. If I can just touch him, he can heal me. And she does, man. She touches him. And immediately, she knows in her body, it's over. Healed. And immediately, Jesus knows it too. This is awesome. And I'll just be honest with you. I'll be honest with you guys. I've been lying to you up until now. No, just kidding. (laughs) Funny thing. People say that. I'll I'll just be honest with you. Oh, is that, is this a change? (laughs) Mom? Um, I'll be honest with you guys. I, I don't understand everything there is to know about the Trinity. Is that all right with you? I don't, I, don't, I don't have God figured out. Jesus is God, right? As God, he is all-knowing. But he is also man. And in this moment, one pastor said one time, I, I was listening to him, and he said this. He said, there's, there's times in the gospel that Jesus is so clearly God, it's hard to imagine that he's man at all. And there's other times... That you see him as, as such a real human being, it's hard to imagine he could really be God. I mean, that's a good way to, to understand Scripture. And, and in this story, we see all of it. And in this moment, I, I, don't, I don't know how this works. But Jesus is ministering under the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. And I don't think he's lying here. I think he's really saying, who just touched me? Who just touched me? Right? He feels this healing takes place. He says, who touched me? And he turned around, and, and this, is, this is fascinating to me, because it'd be, it'd be, I could see Jesus, you know, he knows that this woman's been healed, somebody's been healed, but he, he's on a mission, right? He's going to rescue this little girl. He's going to go rescue Jairus' daughter. But he feels his power go out. And listen, this, this is awesome. It's not enough for Jesus just to heal somebody, just to physically meet this need. Jesus isn't satisfied with that. He's not satisfied with that. He stops everything. Because on his way to rescue Jairus' daughter, he's going to rescue his own. It's not enough for him just to physically meet the need. He's going to know this woman. He's, He's going to seek this relationship with her. So he stops. Stops everything. Stops the whole crowd. Turns around and says, who touched me? And his disciples are like, um, everybody, <laughs> like, like everybody, Lord, I don't know, Jesus, you know, and you think they would get it, like, like, uh, Jesus, um, the crowd pressing in on you, I think everyone's touching you, do you want, you want us to try to push him away, he's like, he doesn't even pay attention to him, he just looks around, and, it, and the story says, well, I'll just read it, that's right here, let's read it, verse 32, And he looked around to see who had done it. Verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he, Jesus, said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. That's awesome. This woman knows, right? She knows that she's the reason why Jesus has stopped. She's the one that he's looking for. And she's afraid. She's afraid. Trembling. But that fear, which, listen, it's appropriate. 
It is appropriate to fear God. Did y'all know that? It is good to fear God. When, listen to me. When you see God for who He really is, the holy creator of the universe, when you see God for who He really is, we'll fear. We'll be afraid of Him. Because we've sinned against Him. Because we deserve that God's wrath. But what's amazing about fearing God is that the fear of God, the Bible says it's the beginning of knowledge, it's the beginning of wisdom. To really fear God doesn't drive us away from Him. In fact, it it draws us to Him. When we fear God in the right way, it'll draw us to Him. It'll do what it did for this lady. It'll put us right at His feet. This lady comes in fear and trembling and falls down before Jesus. Tells him the whole story. Just confesses everything. And in one word, listen to me. In one word, Jesus changes everything about her. Not just that he would heal her physical need. In one word, he changes everything. He calls her daughter. He calls her daughter. He just completely redefined this woman, this outcast, this lady who all she's known is pain and suffering and rejection, shame, guilt, no doubt, as she would lie in bed and wonder why she would be afflicted with this. What has she done? What does she do to deserve this? No one would have anything to do with her. And in one word, Jesus changes all that. Do you see it? Are you playing the story in your mind? Do you see Jesus in the midst of this great crowd taking the time with this one woman looking into her eyes and saying, daughter. That pain, that shame, this disease is no longer who you are. This is your mind. Jesus gets to define this woman. Jesus calls her daughter. You are no longer that. You are a child of the Most High God. Jesus, as Zach talked about this morning, right? This woman has been adopted into the family of God. God gets to define his children. Y'all listen to me. for just, just, just listen to me for a minute. And then the rest of the minutes I talk. Listen. Jesus gets to define you. If you're a child of God, if you've found yourself at the feet of Jesus, calling out in repentance, trusting Jesus for your salvation. You are a child of God. Jesus gets to define you. Your past sin, the sin that you've committed, doesn't define you. The guilt and shame of your own sin is no longer your your identity. The sin that's been committed against you, the lies that have been you've been told either from yourself or from people that you should have been able to love and trust, that no longer defines you. This world doesn't get to define you. Jesus defines you. Jesus gives you your identity. And he has adopted us as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And he has cleansed us from our sin. He's removed the guilt and the shame and the stigma of our, of our sin against God. And he has clothed us in his righteousness. That we can stand before him. 
And He calls us beloved. Fills us with His Spirit. Seals us with His Spirit. So that we could never be separated from Him. That's good. It's not enough that Jesus just would physically meet the needs of this woman. Jesus stops because He's going to know her. He's going to give her a new identity that's eternal. He turns around and He says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Listen. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Not go in peace like, got to go, peace out, right? He's saying, go with peace, real peace, peace with God. Made whole. Jesus touches her, and he doesn't get her disease, she gets his wholeness, she gets his goodness. Man, Jesus is so good. Jesus is good. This gospel is so good. The story's not over yet. So while he's saying this, while he's talking to her, and this really becomes the key to understand both stories, because while he's saying to her, your faith has made you well, go in peace, somebody else is talking to Jairus. Somebody has come from Jairus' house, and they say, dude, your daughter's dead. She's gone. Leave Jesus alone. Let him go. Your daughter's gone. And really, the way that the, the language of the Scripture is, it's the idea that Jesus ignores that. And I picture him, he's still got his hands on this woman. He's lifted her up, holding her up. He's still having this conversation. And he turns to Jairus, looks him dead in the eye, and he says, Don't be afraid. Keep on believing. Don't fear. Really, it's the idea of don't give in to fear, but continue in your trust. Continue in your belief. This becomes a key to understanding why these stories are in the Bible. It's all about faith. It's about trusting Jesus. When Jesus says to this woman, your faith has made you well, when he looks at Jairus and says, keep on believing, he's not commending her for some faith that she like came up with on her own. He's not asking Jairus to just believe hard enough. We need to be careful. We need to be, un- we need to be careful that we understand what biblical saving faith is all about. It's not about you and me believing something hard enough. It's not about you and me mustering up in ourselves, closing our eyes, hoping that we have enough faith. That's not what is going on here. The reason why this woman's faith made her well is because of who her faith was in. What Jesus is asking Jairus to do is not to believe hard enough, but to keep trusting in him. Jesus, trusting and believing in Jesus is what made this woman whole. Trusting and believing in Jesus is what Jairus needs to do. It's what Jesus calls us to do. Man, I don't know about you, but there was times where I would, I would wrestle with this. Do I believe enough? Do I believe correctly? Do I, you know, oh, did I just stop believing for five minutes? And the issue with that is we put... The focus on ourselves. Do I believe? When if we'll put our focus on Jesus and hear about who Jesus is and see who Jesus is from Scripture, then our faith, our trust will be in Him. Our confidence will be in Him. My confidence isn't in my ability to believe enough. My confidence is in who Jesus is, what He's done, and His ability to rescue me. 
That's biblical faith. And that's what's being put on display here for us. Verse 36. But overhearing what was said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Then Jesus takes just a couple of his disciples with him. They go to Jairus' house. And when they get there, there's this big, crazy scene where back then they would actually, if you had money, you would hire people to come to your, like, funeral party, basically. And these people would, uh, they were like professional weepers. They'd come all dressed in black or whatever, and they would just wail and moan and carry on. It was supposed to create this, you know, just sad environment. And so Jesus gets there, and this is happening, and Jesus says, what's going on? She's not dead. She's asleep. Jesus said, she's not dead. She's asleep. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, this is awesome. So Jesus kicks everyone out and he says, listen, she's not dead. She's sleeping. So a couple options here. Either Jesus is wrong. Either Jesus is lying. How do you guys feel about those two so far? Right? Not, not good. Good. Okay. Or what I believe Jesus is doing is he's going to redefine death. He's just redefined this woman. He's about to redefine what death means for us. Y'all good? Everyone kind of getting a little squirmy? Everyone just go ahead and squirm for a minute. I'll tell you a story. Um, <clears throat> so, man, I, I've got, I got three kids. My middle daughter... I mean, she sleeps hard. Were any of y'all like this? Uh, I mean, she's uh, three years old, and when she falls asleep, I mean, she's gone. She's gone. Like, you know, y'all remember doing this? I have vague memories of, like, uh, going out with my parents. Maybe we'd go on a trip or whatever, or maybe we'd eat out and stay out a little bit later than normal. And then you fall asleep in the car, and all of a sudden, you wake up the next morning in your bed, and you're like, what? Like, did I time travel? What was a dream? What wasn't? Like, it's just little kids fall asleep, man. It's just like, they can be going a million miles an hour. My, my middle kid's like this, where she doesn't wind down, she just crashes. She's just moving, talking, making noise, hitting her siblings, and all of a sudden, she falls down, she's asleep. That's awesome. Like, sometimes you can get her up, move her. I'll, sometimes I'll do this if it's just uh, me, my wife, and my middle kid, and I'll set her on my knee, and I'll use her like a puppet. Like, she's got no idea. Like, she's just, she's sleeping, her mouth is open, I'll move her jaw, make her say funny things, and it's entertaining, like, sometimes we do that for dinner guests, and, uh, like, you know, she's got no idea, no idea, right? Like, she'll, she'll pee the bed, never wakes her up, right? I mean, that's crazy, it wakes me up every time, you know, and gets cold, um, right, like, I mean, she's just out. And then I got my, my, uh, my nephew staying with me um, for a couple of weeks during summer. He's, he's like nine years old. And he's, he's not like that. In the morning, uh, like, you can just kind of touch him. And he shoots up and he's like, oh, good morning. What, what are we doing there? Are we going down the river? Are we gonna, is, is Tucker going to be at camp? You think he's at camp? What are we going to have for breakfast? You know, there's gravy and biscuits. I don't really like your gravy and biscuits. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> not ready for that, right? He just, I mean, just touch him and he's away. He just sits right up, ready to go, right? The other, the other morning, um, we were, we we're going to go down the river. So he's excited about the day. And so I just reached down and, and, and touched his shoulder and boom, I mean, just woke him up just, just that easy. 
and, and, and th- th- that, have that picture in mind here, right? As easy as it was for me to touch my nephew's shoulder, wake him up, Jesus goes into this girl's room, and she's dead, right? This story tells us that she's dead. Luke tells us that she's dead. Matthew tells us she's dead. This girl is not sleeping like that. And as, as easy as I reach down and wake up my nephew, Jesus, because he's God, because he has authority and power over death, Jesus reaches down, takes this girl by the hand, and pulls her out of death, wakes her up out of the grip of death, and brings her back to life. Who does that? Jesus. God. <clears throat> reaches down and pulls her right out of death. Just, I mean, easy. Like it was nothing. But we see in these stories when Jesus is healing, touching this Gentile, demon-possessed man. Demons go away. Touches this woman with this unclean disease. He's not phased by it. She's cleansed. Reaches out and touches this corpse. This shell. And brings this little girl back into it. Raises her up. Says, give her something to eat. Jesus has ultimate authority over disease, over death, over sin. And Jesus tells us these stories. Listen, the Bible tells us these stories so that we would understand the greater healing. So that we would understand the greater miracle. Because for Jesus to heal this girl of this issue of blood, for Jesus to pull this girl out of death and bring her back to physical life, It's just what he does. For Jesus to heal us of the greater sickness, for Jesus to cleanse us of sin, for Jesus to raise us up out of death, not just physical death, but eternal death, for Jesus to do that, it took a lot more. These stories we see, Jesus is unfazed by these people's sickness, their illness, their uncleanness. But in order for Jesus to rescue us, do you know what the Bible says? It says, He took on our curse. He took our curse. He took our sin. He took our shame. He took our guilt. Paul would say, 2 Corinthians, that God made Him, Jesus, for our sake, God made Him who knew no sin to become sin. For us. Y'all know that, right? On the cross, Jesus takes our illness, our disease, sin. And not just sin, but he takes the curse of sin, which is the eternal wrath of Almighty God. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. So that so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that just like when he, this woman touched him, her disease is taken away and she gets wholeness. Just like that times a million. Because when Jesus takes our sin, when our shame, when our condemnation, our just penalty of hell is taken from us and put on Jesus... He doesn't leave us like that. It's not enough for Jesus just to take our sin away. He's not done with us. He's going to know us. He's going to redefine us.
Jesus in place of our sin and our shame and our guilt. Listen to me. He gives us, a, gives us His righteousness. Clothes us in His holiness, His goodness. Totally redefines who we are. We're called sons and daughters of God. Sealed by His Spirit. Beloved of the Father. He'll never leave us, never forsake us. He's rescued us. He's rescued us. He tells us to go in peace. So that death is redefined for us. Death is redefined for us. No more fear of death. There's a lot of ways I don't want to die. Do you want to hear about one of them? All right, good. I've got this weird thing. I don't want to be eaten by a shark. I just don't. Not into that. So, like, when I go to the beach, I love going to the beach. I just don't go in the ocean. And people will say, you've got a better chance of being struck by lightning than eaten by a shark. And I'm like, dang straight, because I don't go in the ocean. I know that. That's why I'm sitting here. Moron. <laughs> you have a better chance of being eaten a shark by me than me, right? I'm not going to eat anybody. That didn't come out right. <laughs> I don't want to be eaten by a shark. I saw Jaws when I was way too young. It terrified me. I couldn't, I mean, I was scared to sit in the toilet. For real. Like, any kind of water, I was like, it could happen. It could happen. Right? I don't want to be eaten by a shark. In fact, I, I want to I live to be an old man. I want to become an old preacher that uh, instead of, like, apologizing for the weird things I say, just keep on rolling. Like, I'm looking forward to get to that place. And uh, I want to be an old man. I want to have my family around me. I want to have kids, grandkids, and maybe their kids all around me. And with my last breath, I want to say, I've got one more thing to tell you. <laughs> all right? Just, just go. All right? I'll always leave them wanting more. And... Uh, that's, that's how that's how I'd pick. If I had to pick, that's how I'd pick to go, right? But you know what? It, it's silly, silly. But listen, for real, for real. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, there is no fear of death. Why? Jesus has conquered it. He's destroyed it. When he went into the grave, he waged a war on sin and death, and he is victorious. How do we know that? He didn't stay dead. He had the power to lay down his life, and he took it back up. And what that screams to us, if, if, that is, if we are his children, we will be with him. That death is just this path that we will walk into the glory of Christ. To where we started this morning, right? We will be there with him singing, Holy, holy is Jesus. Holy is the Lamb who took away my sin and gave me His righteousness, died in my place, rose again, so we will all be there together, not thinking about ourselves, not thinking about each other, not having doubt and pain and shame, but simply looking at Jesus and worshiping our God because of who He is. No more fear of death. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'll be done. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of y'all, please, in your sin, in your shame, 
in your guilt, please come to the feet of Jesus. Hear this gospel and find yourself humbled at the feet of Jesus. Trust him. Believe in him. Please repent. Turn from your sin. Call out on the name of Jesus to be rescued. Please. There's no hope anywhere else. There's no other hope. There's no other gospel. There's no other Savior. There's only Jesus. And he is enough. He can rescue you. Call out on the name of Jesus. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Please come talk to us about that. Come talk to our staff. Go talk to your leaders. And please, enjoy the day. Have fun. Awesome. Please, please don't hear this gospel and go away. He can save you. He can heal you. Believer, child of God, man, let's set our hope on what life is really about. That moment when we're all together in the presence of Jesus, worshiping him. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, love you. God, I thank you for this morning and that we could look at these amazing things you did and realize as amazing as it was that you healed that woman, as amazing as it was that you raised that little girl from the dead, the greater miracle is that when you would bring us from death to life and forgive us of our sin and call us your children. So I pray that you would do that this morning. Please, I pray that you'd call young men, young women, leaders, staff, Lord, call people who are still in darkness. Call them into your marvelous light. Rescue them. Transfer them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son of your love. Redefine us. God, I pray that your children would have our hope set on you, our faith in you, our trust in you, that we wouldn't give in to fear the fears of this life, but we would continue to believe in you, to trust you, to follow you. We love you. Christ's name. Amen.